wanted to start with this. One of the things that keeps coming to mind as I have been studying the book of Daniel over the last couple of weeks and and even the time before that leading up to this, um, and also kind of, you ever notice how things start to intersect with other devotionals or other things that you're reading when a certain theme or, or idea emerges and just keeps coming back? And one of those for me in the last few weeks has been the difference between form and substance. The difference between form and substance. Now, if you're hungry, really, really hungry, you might think, give me the whole loaf, right? Because I've got a loaf of bread, but in this bag I have a single slice of bread. And you might be saying, well, what does this have to do with form and substance? Some of you towards the front may have figured out that this isn't actually a loaf of bread. It has the form of a loaf of bread, but inside it's just cardboard. It's not going to taste very good. It's not going to be very filling or very satisfying. And yet, this single slice of bread is actually the substance of the bread. It's the thing itself. And what I've been seeing pop up over and over recently is that it's very, very easy to seek the form rather than the substance. That religion often focuses more on the form than the substance. I read my Bible every day and I check it off. And then I pray a prayer every day and I check it off. And I go to church almost every week and I check it off. And I have all the forms of a relationship with Jesus Christ without the substance of a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if we're not careful, we can get so focused on the forms that we lose the substance altogether. And if you're hungry, this doesn't do you any good. If you're hungry, one slice of substance is better than a whole loaf of form. Is this making sense? Are you seeing some areas where this might be potentially applicable to your life? And as I was putting the finishing touches on this, I realized that when you meet somebody who's hungry, and they're all around out there, when you meet somebody who's hungry, what do you want to share with them? Do you want to share the substance? Or do you just want to share a form or two that sort of points them in the right direction? And the reason that I'm bringing this up today is that we see over and over in the book of Daniel, we see the evidence of the substance of Daniel's relationship with God. And it is that that is giving him the courage to stand. It is that that is giving him the ability to be a witness for God in an area of the world and in a time in history that was very hostile to God. And this matters for us because increasingly our culture is hostile to God. And they're done with the forms. And they're hungry for the substance, whether they realize it or not. And so if we can increasingly focus on the substance of our relationship with Jesus Christ, on pursuing Him and Him first, and not just the forms that that religion takes in our life, then we'll have something to offer that world that won't just be a hollow substance, just a hollow form. It'll be the real thing. It'll be the real substance. We'll have that inner peace that they so desperately want. We'll have that faith, that courage, that wisdom. 
And so it's not that all the forms are bad. The forms are good. The forms point us to the substance. The forms are often the, the basket that the substance comes in. But we must always focus on the substance, not the form. And we see that in Daniel, and this will make sense uh, as a little bit more as we continue to move through it. We're in a series titled Stand. We've been talking about uh, stories of courage from the life of Daniel, from the book of Daniel. And so we're in week four of that out of five. Next week, we'll wrap it up. If you've missed a week or two, you can always go to our podcast at our website. It's linwoodchurch.org. Click on the media tab. And all the sermons will come up. The last six come up first, and then you can, you want to go back and listen to something that we talked about weeks or months or years ago, you can find the last 18 months or so uh, in there as well. And I would encourage you to do that if you missed a week or two over the summer, because uh, we've, we've covered some really good ground. But today, we're going to be looking at standing in faith. Standing in faith. Sometimes it takes a great deal of courage to stand in faith. Stand in faith when the doubts are mounting, to stand in faith when we're starting to maybe lose hope. Stand in faith when we've been praying for something for a long time and we're not seeing the answer that we were hoping for. And so if that describes you in any area of your life, then today perhaps could be a very encouraging message for you. Maybe you've been praying for healing for a long time for yourself or for someone else and you haven't seen the healing. In fact, maybe you've seen things move in the other direction or you've been struggling financially and you've been praying for things to change, for a new job, for a, a new solution, for new habits to take root. Maybe you've been praying for some sort of addiction that you are experiencing or that somebody else is experiencing and you're praying for the bonds of that addiction to be broken and it doesn't seem to be making any headway. Maybe it's forgiveness. Maybe you've been praying for the, the ability to forgive somebody else and the bitterness keeps growing and you don't understand why. There are all kinds of things that you might pray for for some time, that you might seek for some time. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe there's a marriage or, uh, or there's a relationship with a child that's just not where you want it to be and you keep praying and you keep looking for the breakthrough and it's not coming. And if you're not careful, you might start to wonder, is it worth it? Is it all true? Is it really worth it to keep praying, to keep being faithful, to keep seeking? Is it all just a waste of time? And if that's you today or if that's somebody you, you know, I want to encourage you first and foremost, it's not a sin to have doubts. Sometimes the enemy comes in behind us and tries to weaken our faith because of the cracks that are in it, because of the things that, that we doubt. And I want to first and foremost tell you, it's not a sin to have doubts. But I would encourage you to do something with your doubts, and that's to doubt them. Doubt your doubts. Feed your faith. Feed your faith with the substance of that relationship with God. Feed your faith with his word. Feed your faith with fellowship and lean on others who are strong when you are weak. Feed your faith with worship. Don't drift from God. Come to God. Come back to God. Feed your faith with service. Sometimes one of the best things that we can do when we're starting to lose hope is to begin to serve someone else and to get our eyes off of ourselves and onto this good God. So, Doubt your doubts and feed your faith. You see, 
Faith almost relies upon doubts in order to truly be faith, in order to believe when we no longer see, in order to believe in the face of doubts requires the doubt itself. So don't beat yourself up over doubts. Don't beat yourself up over discouragement, but doubt the doubts and feed your faith. And we see a great example of that in the life of Daniel, that he had every reason to doubt And we're going to be in Daniel chapter 10 today. We're going to look at verses 5 through 19. This is on page, oh, let's see, I didn't write it down this time. It's 1389 or so, I would think. It's somewhere right around there. Look for late, late, late part of the 1300s. You'll find Daniel in there. And go to Daniel chapter 10. And in Daniel chapter 10, We know that Daniel is an old man. We know that he's probably over 80 years old at this point because he's on his fourth king that he had been serving. And he has been in exile for most of his life. He was basically kidnapped, taken from his parents, taken from his homeland when he was a young teenager and brought into the king, uh, the court of a foreign king. And he has lived there and served there for about 70 years at this point. And we know some other things about Daniel, especially if you've been reading through this book and and reading through the historical narrative, reading through, uh, you know that after chapter 6, things start to get a little different. It's less historical narrative, and it's more about these visions that Daniel starts to have. And, And he's been praying three times a day. He's even gotten into some trouble for this praying that he does. Last week, we looked at the story of the lion's den when he would not stop praying and facing Jerusalem three times a day, morning, noon, and night. Not just the form but the substance. You won't, you won't continue in the court of a foreign king. You won't continue in the face of persecution, in the, in the face of, of real life and death danger for a form. But you will for a substance. And Daniel has been praying, and he's been standing in faith, and he's been praying daily that God would restore his people, that God would restore the Hebrew people. And you see a powerful prayer of confession and repentance on behalf of his people in chapter 9. And in chapter 10, he has another vision. But it's not the vision that he was praying for. It's a vision of more war. It's a vision of more hardship. It's a vision uh, that does not encourage him and inspire him and say, boy, Daniel, way to be faithful. It's all going to work out just fine. And his response to that is not to throw up his hands. It's not to walk away. It's not to quit praying. His response to that is to go on a 21-day fast. No choice food, no choice drinks, uh, just a subsistence diet, no oils or lotions uh, of any kind that would make life comfortable and make him smell good and all those good things. So he goes on this fast. And one commentator suggested maybe it's to identify with the people in Judah who are living a miserable life. That Daniel is in the court of a foreign king and he has ascended through the ranks and is at the, pretty much the highest rank possible just below the king of the wealthiest and largest nation of the world at the time. And he, he willingly identifies with these people. We don't know that for sure, but it certainly seems reasonable. And that's where we pick up in verse 5. But I don't want you to miss, you don't, you don't do that for a form. You do that for the substance of that relationship. You do that for the substance. And then in verse 5, he says, I looked up and there before me was a man dressed in linen with a belt of the finest gold around his waist. His body was like chrysolite. His face was like lightning. His eyes like flaming torches. His arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze and his voice like the sound 
of a multitude. So he sees this man in this vision. And if you've been familiar with uh, the book of Revelation, there's a real strong correlation here between Daniel's vision in chapter 10 of the book of Daniel and what John saw in the book of Revelation in chapter 4. And so a lot of scholars and a lot of commentators have pointed this, this is very likely Jesus Christ coming and visiting Daniel and standing before him. The description is very similar, and there's a lot of reasons that would point to that. And I personally think that it was an image of the pre-incarnate Christ that came to visit Daniel. There's a couple of things that we'll get to a little bit later on that make me make make some people doubt that. Um, but I tend to think that that for Daniel at this point, this was a messenger of God. It was a messenger that was God coming to him in the person of Jesus Christ and encouraging him. Whether Daniel knew that or not, we don't know. Um, but we do know that... Uh, that he had an experience, he had a vision, and that this vision certainly looks like and sounds like Jesus to him. And it's kind of like the Sunday school story. You heard about the kid that walked into Sunday school and he saw on the sign in front of the church, Jesus is the answer. And uh, so he's like, well, that's interesting. I I don't even know what the question is. So I'm going to pay attention find out what the question is. And about halfway through this, uh, right before when they were done singing and before the the sermon started, the pastor invited the kids up. Did any of you go to a church where the pastor would invite the kids up? This is what happened in my church. And we'd all sit around. And uh, he was getting started on everything. And and he said, so so what runs up and down trees and eats nuts and, and chatters a little bit? And it was a question. So the kid raised his hand, his hand to answer. And he said, I know the answer is Jesus, but it sure sounds like a squirrel, right? Sure sounds like a squirrel. And I want to flip that here. I mean, this sure looks and sounds like Jesus. So I'm going to go with that. Maybe it's not. I don't think that's the most important thing. But he receives this vision. He receives this visit. And in verse 7, we continue. In verse 7, he says, I, Daniel, was the only one who saw the vision. The men with me did not see it, but such terror overwhelmed them that they fled and hid for themselves. And this points out this truth that I've experienced a number of different times, that sometimes, sometimes you experience something and it's just for you, even if there are other people around. And I believe that's what happens here for Daniel. Sometimes you experience something, sometimes there's an insight, sometimes there is an impression that's just for you. And if you've been following God for very long, you'll experience this at times. You'll hear something powerfully that nobody else heard. You'll experience something powerfully in the context of other people, and they won't get it. Kind of like maybe form and substance for me. Maybe that's really profound for me, and you're like, what is he talking about? I don't know. Sometimes as a pastor, people will come up to me, and you can tell they have been moved powerfully. And they share what I said that moved them powerfully. And I'm like, I didn't say that. I'm really quite sure I didn't say that. And I've, a couple of times I've even gone back and listened to the message. Like, nope, I didn't say that. But the Spirit said it. And it was truth. Now, if it's crazy, I'll tell them that. No, that's crazy. One, I didn't say it. Two, that's crazy. It doesn't, it's not scriptural. Let's talk about it. But sometimes it's, it's like what I said or it's similar to what I said. But it's not what I said. But they heard it. it was powerful. And I think this is an experience like this for Daniel. And I know that some of you, God is going to move you today. God is going to move you with something that is said here today. And it may not happen for everybody. 
Some of you are thinking about lunch and where we're going to go for lunch and what we're going to eat for lunch. What are we going to have when we go there, you know? So I understand that, that, that this is, when there's substance involved, it's an individual thing. And so uh, picking up at verse 8, So I was left alone, gazing at this great vision. I had no strength left. My face turned deathly pale, and I was helpless. Then I heard him speaking. And as I listened to him, I fell into a deep sleep, my face to the ground. I've experienced this as well. As I was speaking, someone fell into a deep sleep with their face to the ground. Now you're listening. Good, good. But this, Daniel is one of the strongest, perhaps the most faithful person alive right now. And he cannot bear the weight of the glory of God. Do you see that in this passage? He cannot bear the weight of the glory of God, the pure substance, Christ right in front of him. And he falls into a deep sleep with his face to the ground. He could not bear the weight of the glory of God. And I would say that the strongest of men cannot bear the weight of the glory of God. And if you've ever had an experience where it was like God broke through and things got off script and, and it was powerful. I had one just this summer. I was at the middle school camp. And on Wednesday night at the middle school camp, you could feel the Spirit of God fall upon that tabernacle. And if you've ever been to Cedar Canyon Camp, you know the building that I'm talking about. And maybe you've had a similar experience there. And the Spirit of God fell upon that place. And you saw teenagers getting into groups and praying and weeping and praying for each other and moving from place to place. And then we got to process that with them the next night and to hear their response to it and to hear them talk about how it changed them, how they experienced something new with God in that moment. And it was powerful. And I've had a number of those experiences where everything moved way beyond form and was pure substance and it was unmistakable. I remember the first time it happened for me, we were in a really small church, we were in there Sunday uh, afternoon service, there was an evangelist there, and things got off script, and you could tell that the spirit was moving, and the next thing you know, I'm down in the front of the church, and I'm on my hands and knees, and I'm praying, and my face is going numb, and my hands are going numb, and you're like, this guy is crazy. No, it really happened, I experienced it, other people experienced it, I thought I was down there for 10 or 15 minutes, but it was over an hour, and they were praying, and people were getting so filled up with the presence and the Spirit of God. And so there are times when God breaks through, and I think that's what's happening for Daniel here, once again, happening to him. And so with that as a setup, I want to encourage you with three things to remember while you're standing in faith. Three things to remember while you're standing in faith that we see here from the life of Daniel and from this specific example. First, God cares more about you than you do. This might be a revelation to some of you, especially if you care an awful lot about yourself. But God cares more for you than you do. Look at verse 11. Well, verse, I'll read 10 because we skipped that. A hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and my knees. And then in verse 11, he said, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed, consider carefully the words I'm about to speak to you and stand up, for I have now been sent to you. And when he said this to me, I stood up trembling. God cares more about you than you do. In verse 11, he says, you who are highly esteemed, highly esteemed. Some translations of the Bible say you who are greatly loved, or my favorite is you who are very precious, very precious to me. 
Esteem to me looks more like exalted, held up. And there are other words in the Hebrew language for that, that reference or, or talk about being exalted. Daniel is, is spoken to as one who is dearly loved, one who is very, very precious. And it represents a unique relationship. It represents substance in that relationship that God dearly loves you. He doesn't just love you because he has to, because it's part of the deal. He loves you. He's crazy about you. He dearly loves you. You are very, very precious to him. Each and every one of you, even the person in your seat. Now, I love all of you. I really do. Some of you, it's easier than others, but I love all of you. And I pray as I walk through the sanctuary and I touch the chairs and people come to mind that sit in those various areas and I pray for you. I pray for a heart of love. I pray for the ability to love you as, their, as your pastor. But you're not all precious to me. I'll just be honest. These three down here on the front row, they're precious to me. Absolutely. There's a little one back there in the pre-K room and there's another one in the first and second grade room. They're precious to me. And we have a unique relationship. God has that relationship, that only begotten relationship with each and every one of us. You're precious to him. Pastor Zach, I love him. I love that guy. He's not precious to me. Not the way these three are. Not the way those two are. And that's the relationship. That's the nature of the relationship that you have with God that's available to you, that God loves you like that. God loves you that way. You are precious to him. And one of the first uh, things that helped me to see this was actually a children's book. I don't know if any of you have ever seen this book. It's Max Lucado. It's titled, uh, God Thinks You're Wonderful. God Thinks You're Wonderful. And it's just a bunch of little statements. If he had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. And all these different ways of kind of breaking through the formal religious language to this idea that God is really crazy about you, loves you passionately the way that, that a father loves his children, the way that a mother loves her children, the way that a husband loves his wife. Completely and perfectly. Yes, God loves you and cares more about you than you do. And another thing that really pointed this out to me, and I remember when I was reading Psalm 18, and you can turn there if you want to. It's on page uh, 869 or something. <laughs> sorry, it's on the screen. 856, sorry. Um, and I was reading through the Psalms, and I got to Psalm 18, and I got to verse 16. He reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. And then I read verse 19, and tears started to well up in my eyes. He brought me into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delights in me. And those are the words of David. But if God has reached down from on high and has rescued you, it's because he delights in you. He didn't have to do that. But he looks at you and he smiles. He looks at you. If, if you are in Christ, he looks at you and he doesn't see your sins. He doesn't see your mistakes. He doesn't see your failures. And he sees Jesus. He sees Jesus' righteousness covering you. He sees you and he smiles at you. And he delights in you. And he will rescue you. 
So God cares more about you than you do. The second is that God is always doing more than you can see or understand. God is always doing more than you can see or understand. You see, we are finite. We are exceedingly finite. We're not even close to being infinite. And God is infinitely infinite. Have you ever thought about that? And so we cannot see, we cannot comprehend, we cannot understand all that God is doing at any given moment. And we are stuck in this linear progression of time for just 70, 80, maybe 90 or 100 years. But in the scope of eternity, it's just a finger snap. But God is infinite. God is timeless. God is everywhere all at once. And he is always doing more than we can see or understand. So while our understanding is limited, his activity and his power are limitless. And we have to keep that in mind when we're standing in faith. And we see that powerfully in this passage as well. If you continue with verses 12 through 15. Then he continued this messenger, this vision. Do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. Now, this is where it gets a little hard to explain, and I'm not going to try to explain this. I did a lot of study on it. It gets a little weird. Just going to pause and tell you this gets a little weird, and it raises some interesting questions. Keeping in mind that we are finite and he is infinite. Verse 13, but the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me for 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now I have come to explain to you that, to you what will happen to your people in the future. For the vision concerns a time yet to come. And while he was saying this to me, I bowed with my face toward the ground and I was speechless. Now I don't understand the prince of Persia, some say that that's, you know, the prince of the power of the air, that's literally Satan. I don't understand why it took 21 days. I don't, I can't explain that to you. A lot of really smart people have tried to explain this. To me, it points out that once again, we are infinite. We are finite. He is infinite. Our understanding is limited. His is not. Why this took place and why this is explained the way that it is, is not fully known. And we have to be okay with those limitations. That's the one point that was made against this being Jesus. Well, Jesus wouldn't be detained. Jesus, you know, is all-powerful. And so we don't understand all of that, but we do know, and the point that I want to make here is that Daniel was heard from the moment he sought God. Daniel was heard, and God has come. Daniel was heard, and he is here since the very first day you were heard. Is what the message is. And just because you don't see God doing something doesn't mean he isn't doing something. Oftentimes he is doing something to set up the next thing. Oftentimes he is doing something that you won't ever understand until hindsight. And in the midst of it, it's so hard. And I understand that. I've been there. I've lived there. I have literally come to the end of myself and been utterly without hope. And then on the other side, I was able to see what was happening and gain perspective and gain understanding. And it's the faith, it's standing in faith that gets us through that. And we have to remember, he cares more about you than you do. He hasn't forgot. He hasn't fallen off the radar. He hasn't slipped his mind. You're not like the kid that's sitting there after the basketball game, the bus got home, and you're wondering where your parents are, and you call them, and it's very, very clear they forgot. God doesn't do that. 
He doesn't forget. He cares more about you than you do. And he is always doing more than you can see or understand. So prayer doesn't always change your circumstances, but when we continue to come back to him, when we continue to stand in faith, it changes us. And our prayers have to move from trying to get God to do what we want and towards trying to get us to do what God wants. That's really important. I put it on the screen. we got to understand this. Our approach to prayer must shift away from merely trying to get God to do what we want and towards getting ourselves to do what God wants. It's a convicting statement. Oftentimes my prayers are a lot more about what I want to get God to do, what I, getting God to do what I want. And I figure if I can pray it in the right, like if I pray in King James Version uh, prayers, maybe God will actually do what I'm asking him to do. Focusing on the form rather than the substance. If I pray long enough or I pray enough of a certain type of prayer that maybe it will get God to do what I want him to do. No. No. Our approach to prayer has to shift to, God, what do you want me to do? What does your word say? What do, what do the people around me say that will point me in the right direction, that will get me to do what you want? And the third thing that we have to understand is that God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. And it wasn't just Paul that had that thorn in the flesh, and God said, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. We see it here in Daniel as well in verses 16 through 19. Then the one who looked like a man touched my lips, and I opened my mouth and began to speak. And I said to the one standing before me, I am overcome with anguish because of this vision, my Lord, and I am helpless. How can I, your servant, talk with you, my Lord? My strength is gone, and I can hardly breathe. Again, the one who looked like a man touched me and gave me strength. Do not be afraid, O man highly esteemed. He reminded him, I care more about you than you do, Daniel. He said, peace, be strong now, be strong. When he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, speak, my Lord, since you have given me strength. You see, God's strength is made perfect in your weakness. When you feel weak, when you feel filled with doubt, those are the times when God's strength can be made perfect in you and through you. When you persevere, when you tie a knot at the end of the rope and hang on. And we see it here with Daniel. He was completely emptied. He was completely out of strength. And yet God's strength was made perfect in his weakness. And we see these stories throughout Scripture where God works through the one who is weak, the one who is flawed, the one who is imperfect. God's strength is made perfect in your weakness. So your sinfulness can be transformed through the power of God, through the substance of the relationship with Jesus Christ. Your weakness can be made into his strength. Your sinfulness can be transformed into his holiness. Your brokenness can be transformed into completeness. He takes that which is not and turns it into that which is. Your doubts can be transformed into his faithfulness. 
Your pride can be transformed into his humility. Your tears can be transformed into joy. Your temptations can be transformed into obedience. And so when you're standing in faith, and it looks bleak, and it looks dark, remember God loves you more than you do. Remember that he is always doing more than you can see or understand. And his strength is made perfect in your weakness. So things may work out exactly how you pray. But more often than not, we're going to have to stand in faith. We're going to have to stand in the midst of unanswered prayers. We're going to have to remember these things and seek him in the midst of those trials, to stand firm in the midst of those trials. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for these reminders and these encouragements. I pray that it will be that it will be a breath of fresh air to those who are struggling, for those who came in with heavy hearts, for those who came in feeling less and less hope, feeling more and more doubt, for those who are wondering if it's true, wondering if it's worth it. Remind them, God, remind them that you love them so very much. Remind them that you are doing more than they can see or understand. Remind them that your strength is made perfect in our weakness. And so, Lord, as we continue to worship, as we move into a time of response, I pray that each and every person would respond in faith. Pray that your spirit would minister even now and that would call to mind what we can do in response to this message, who we can encourage. I'm aware that there are those who came in here on cloud nine singing praises and having had a wonderful week. Who can they encourage? Who can they strengthen? Who in their life was this message for? Who can we invite to be a part of what's happening here? Who can we invite and who can we share our testimony with? Whisper to us now, Holy Spirit, and may we have ears to hear, eyes to see, hands and feet that are eager to do your will. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.